Tonight, CBC goes full state broadcaster, launching a new political website just for kids. It's September 19th, and you're watching The Ezra LeVant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. You come here once a year with a sign, and you feel morally superior. The only thing I have to say to the government for why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. Justin Trudeau has set up a new department of the CBC called Kids News. It's the strangest thing, it's political commentary written by adults, but read by child actors targeting your children. There are a few stories that are not political, but almost every single story has a little leftist acorn in it to be planted in your child's mind. Sometimes it's shockingly obvious, sometimes it's more subtle, but it's always weird. And the whole thing is set up as a trick. It pretends to be kids talking to kids, but Child actors as young as 10 years old, they don't write their own lines, they don't follow the news, they don't make the journalistic decisions of the state broadcaster, they don't make production decisions or story decisions. A 10-year-old is still learning times tables and spelling. Well, actually, come to think of it, they're probably not learning times tables and spelling, they're probably learning about six gender sex ed. I'm not kidding. One of the stories these kids were talking about to other kids was how mean Ontario Premier Doug Ford is for scrapping the child sex curriculum. Here's CBC Kids uh, interviewing Jasmine, who just happened to be at a rally in support of this extreme sex ad, and she knew her lines. There's not only just two genders, there are people that like wanna, they don't really feel like um, who they really are, and they, they just wanna be somebody else, and you have to respect that. So that's Jasmine, she's 11. Now the CBC has a policy not to put minor children on TV without following a lot of rules as in their parents have to approve. So who is Jasmine? Who are her parents? What's her last name? Who, who wrote that comment for her? Was she really a protester? Or is she working for the CBC or, or both? Is her parents with the CBC? Was she really at this rally naturally and just happened? to meet the CBC Kids News team there? Or did they prearrange to have her there and say her perfectly scripted lines straight out of the Liberal Party's transgender politics playbook? I mean, have you ever seen a real 11-year-old speak that way? This is for real. It's really on a special CBC site called CBC Kids News. This is not a parody. But w was that even news what you just saw there? Or, or was that opinion? But does an 11-year-old really have an opinion about transgenderism? Or are they just parroting their parents' opinions or a CBC producer's opinions? Was that Jasmine an actor? Well, we don't know. And neither does your child, the targeted recipient of this opinion. And before you ask, I watched the whole video. No, they did not have any children, giving the other point of view that maybe an 11-year-old is too young to talk about transgenderism and transsexualism and other extreme sex ed issues. No, this isn't news you're watching. This is propaganda. Have you ever heard of a state broadcaster promoting the government's agenda through children's programming before? Well, now you have. I've heard of it once before, but it was in the former Soviet Union. They had a hero called Pavlik Morozov who became a hero in the Soviet Union because he turned in his own parents for speaking against Joseph Stalin's communist 
policies. Pavlik Morozov was given the title informant number one. He was made a hero that all Soviet children were told to emulate, that the highest honor was listening to the state instead of your own parents, and you had to turn in your own parents if necessary. But other than that, have you ever heard of a state broadcaster designing a propaganda show for young children? I'm not cherry picking here. It's in all of it. Here's a clip from another teen talking about how excited he is about Justin Trudeau's marijuana legislation. Some people just think of getting high as an equivalent to having a glass of wine. Hey, fellow kids, have you ever had a sip of wine? Maybe mom or dad let you have a sip of wine? Or maybe you've seen a sip of wine at a restaurant? Well, smoking marijuana is just like that, kids. And I wouldn't lie to you because I myself am a kid, and not just a kid, I'm a kid with the government, so you can trust me. Don't listen to your parents if they're all bossy about it. Marijuana's just like wine, kids. And of course, what child doesn't talk like this? And you see, legalizing marijuana would mean that there's lots of new businesses, giving the Canadian government an opportunity to make a lot of money by taxing marijuana products. Yeah, that's exactly how kids who are even too young to have a driver's license talk. Well, you see, marijuana is good for economic development. You know, this sort of thing is a, it's a joke. It's a great joke. Here's my favorite version of this joke, as told on the comedy show 30 Rock. I was part of a special task force of very young-looking cops who infiltrated high schools. How do you do, fellow kids? What? Now that's the joke version of it, and that's funny, but that's what the CBC is doing here and doing in all seriousness. Instead of having some lame adult trying to be cool, they just pay child actors to say the same thing. So it really is fellow kids. But do you really think these kids wrote a word of this themselves? Don't be absurd. Now, the CBC lies about it, of course. Here's a page on their website called Meet the CBC Kids News Team. Real kids, real news. We also know that kids want to hear from other kids. That's why we've spent the last few months working with an editorial board made up of four kids, just like you, from across the country. They're the ones in the video at the top of the page. They help us decide what kids want to know about, what kids have questions about, and what kids are talking about. We're also developing a team of kid contributors who are eyes and ears on the ground. Hang on, do you think those kids are, are a real editorial board? I was on the editorial board of the National Post for two years. Every morning we would meet and pitch stories, and then our editor would confirm our assignments, and we would do the research and the writing, and we would come back, and our story would be edited, and then it would be published. Sometimes our name was on our own work, sometimes we wrote unsigned editorials, but we were the keepers of the editorial flame of the newspaper. We had different beats. I covered federal politics and foreign affairs, things like that. Do you think that's what happens here? Do you think that these children meet every day and decide what they're working on today, what's the breaking news today, and do the research and the writing and make any decisions at all? Do you, do you think they're the deciders here? I mean, do you really think so? Let me help you. They're not. They're actors. In fact, their biographies, three out of the four stars they have, are literally actors. That's what their CBC biographies say. They are child actors hired to sell the propaganda written for them by the liberal extremists who do the actual story selection and actual research and actual writing. And we're not told who they are because that's the thing about propaganda. It doesn't really work to have a kid's propaganda show if you can see the adult's hand making the child's puppet move its mouth. 
One of the child actors is from Toronto. His name is Ari Resnick. Who's he? Well, it's irrelevant who he is because he's nothing but a front. More interesting would be who, who are his parents. Do you know any 10-year-old who has political views different from their parents? I mean, 10-year-olds really don't have political views at all. So if they do, like pro-transgender Jasmine there, it's obvious they're just being a prop for their parents or just parroting what they hear. But you can't know that, and you can't really find out, can you? You can't Google a 10-year-old. 10-year-olds aren't even supposed to have a trail on social media. They're too young to have a Facebook account or a Twitter account or a YouTube account. It's actually against the terms of service of those companies to let children of tender years on the internet. It would be really creepy. So they're obviously minor children being animated by someone else, but you can't know who. It really feels like, like one of those gross, you know, you know, those slightly creepy beauty uh, pageants for prepubescent girls that are really dolled up with too much adult makeup. They're too young, and they're so obviously just serving as avatars for their parents. I think the CBC News Kids thing is a left-wing version of that. Let me show you a video done by this 10-year-old I mentioned, Ari Resnick, who is on their editorial board. Yeah, yeah, 10-year-old's on their editorial board. And I'm the king of Spain, people. Watch this. It starts off talking about Little League baseball. Now, that sounds like something fun for a 10-year-old. Yeah, well, you can get sports anywhere. No need for that on the state broadcaster's child propaganda wing. No, this is about a teachable moment, you see, about the evil Donald Trump and his war against refugees. I kid you not. Ari Resnick, this 10-year-old child actor, was told to read someone's propaganda lines about a baseball game, and then he suddenly became the voice of the anti-Trump resistance. Take a look at this. Let me explain. The team's star player, Dio Gamma, almost didn't get to play at all because of immigration issues. His parents are Mexican, but he was born in the United States. For the last few years, Gamma's family has been trying to get refugee status in Canada. But the application is under review, which means Gamma is not supposed to travel. That would have meant missing out on the championships. But Team Canada rallied around Gamma. In the end, the Canadian government gave him a temporary visitor permit so he could play. Yeah, that's propaganda. That's super gross. It's gross of Ari Resnick's parents for turning him into a little Occupy Wall Street freak like that. It's gross of the CBC to target your kids with that. It's gross that you and I have to pay for this through our taxes. The whole thing is really creepy. Almost every story, you know, right now things are pretty tense between Justin Trudeau and the Aboriginal community. I don't know if you know this, but just the other day, Trudeau visited with a group of First Nations chiefs in Saskatchewan, some who had driven in for hours just to meet with him. And because he was late and because he wanted to get to his next photo op, he literally had only 10 minutes with them. And he told them that they had to say whatever they came to say in 30 seconds or less. I would like to go uh, around the table quickly uh, so everyone around the table can speak. But you can't speak for more than 40 sessions. Introduce yourself and give me your, your, your documents because we, we miss, the time was mismanaged around here. So that's the reality of Trudeau and Aboriginal people this week. But this week, here's the story that the CBC kids put on their kids' propaganda page after their kids' editorial board meeting. It was about a moldy school and Aboriginal kids who came to protest on Parliament Hill. And here's what CBC Kids wrote 
I'm just kidding. We don't know who wrote it. I'm guessing it wasn't 10-year-old Ari Resnick. I don't think any 10-year-old would say the words indigenous services minister. Here, let me read. After the kids spoke, Jane Philpott, the Canadian politician in charge of making sure indigenous people have access to the services they need, spoke to the crowd. The indigenous services minister said she would work with community members to make sure that you have the very best possible school to go to. I'm, I'm serious, the CBC Propaganda Network wrote this, and then they broadcast a very short clip of that liberal cabinet minister, but it sounds like it was cut short when the kids started to heckle her. This is the full clip. To make sure that you have the very best possible school to go to, I know that we have temporary arrangements for this year, and we're gonna work on even better arrangements as soon as possible. So just like that child sex curriculum story, they only had one side of the debate here, the liberal side. Of course there were no opposition MPs. That would be too confusing for a 10-year-old. Six genders isn't too confusing, but actually quoting an opposition MP or quoting an Aboriginal leader saying the Liberals are all talk and no action, why that would be too much conflict for a 10-year-old. Um, look, it would be too much conflict for a 10-year-old. None of this belongs in the world of a 10-year-old. This is all grown-up stuff but it's being designed to radicalize and propagandize your children. It's really creepy. One last example, but I could use just about every single example on this CBC Kids website. This is a story called, What Happened on This Day? No, not 9-11, which we just marked. Not a day like that, are you crazy? Not a historical a day, a, not a day of Canadian national importance or anything like that. They were marking the uh, seventh anniversary of the Occupy Wall Street protests. Now that's a US-based gimmick, a professional protest funded by George Soros to attack the US capitalist system after the banks failed and were bailed out uh, almost a decade ago. We had some copycat Occupy Wall Street shantytowns up here in Canada, but it never really took off since our Canadian banks, you know, didn't fail. And so they weren't bailed out. We actually got through that 2008 recession better than any other G7 country. So this isn't even a thing. And it's not a Canadian thing. And it's not a kid's thing. Occupy Wall Street was adults and it was gross. It often turned into violence, serious riots, as well as lots of sexual assaults and drug crimes at the shantytowns. But to the CBC, this is worth commemorating as a great historic event to teach your children what days to mark here. Let me quote from the propaganda site. On this day in 2011, the Occupy Wall Street movement was started by mostly young people to protest income inequality uh, worldwide. What is its slogan? Hang on, is that, is that really what it was about? To protest income inequality? No, it wasn't. It was anti-capitalist. It, it, it was socialist. And, and can you really call it by mostly young people? when it was funded by uh, a professional leftist in his 70s at the time. I don't think so. And then they have a poll to teach you the motto of this left-wing group. They have a quiz, and then they tell you if you're right or wrong. Say, do you think they're going to have a follow-up to this to show what happens in Venezuela under Occupy Wall Street-style socialism? I mean, since they're into foreign news. Do you think they'll mark any protests on the right, such as the peaceful law-abiding March for Life, rally in Ottawa each year. 
Don't make me laugh. I mean, I'm sure they're editorial board, those four child actors, ages 10 to 15. I'm sure when they meet on their conference call and when they call the meeting to order, it will be on their agenda. What a joke this whole thing is. But the bigger joke is that there are thousands of journalists who have been laid off in Canada in the past decade from every private sector media company. In fact, entire newspapers and magazines and radio stations and TV stations have shut down. Real journalists let go, some of them quite good. They're out of work. But the state broadcaster isn't hiring real journalists. Uh, there's no journalism at all on this uh, webpage. A 10-year-old probably shouldn't even be taking the public bus by himself, let alone covering a crime story or a foreign policy story. This is not news. And it's not by kids. It's adult propaganda written by the embedded leftists of the CBC, read on screen by child actors. You'd think real journalists would be appalled by this. It's the definition of fake news. It's an insult to real journalists, but I haven't seen a single peep because journalists all know the only place that's actually hiring is Justin Trudeau's state broadcaster. And if you criticize him or them, you have no chance of getting work there. So maybe polish up your resume and send it in to their editorial board. Tell Ari that you're really good at taking Trudeau's campaign platform and making it kid-friendly and writing more scripts for your new bosses, the child actors to read. That's the state of journalism in Canada. It's kids' propaganda. And everyone, including Andrew Shear's conservatives, they seem just fine with that. Stay with us for more. Welcome back. Well, I've said it before, and I'm sure I'll say it many more times. The most important investigative journalist in the United States is James O'Keefe with Project Veritas, which is a Latin word that means truth. He's gone undercover doing the kind of journalism you'd expect from the mainstream media if they were as skeptical about the left as they are about the right. And today, James O'Keefe has a blockbuster going undercover to reveal what's been referred to as the deep state, James O'Keefe joins us now via Skype from his headquarters. James, great to see you again. Thanks very much for taking the time. You've had an amazing day. Tell me a little bit about your investigative journalism into the deep state. Maybe start by telling me and our viewers what your definition of the deep state is. Well, thanks, Ezra, for having me on again. We just released um, the second video an hour ago. It's just about to take off here. It's on the top of Drudge. There's, we've released three videos so far, first on the Department of State, next on Health and Human Services in the Department of Justice. The deep state, has we've been heard about for, for a couple of years now, but there's never been a face to a name. Rough, roughly speaking, it's an extra legal state within a state. It's people inside the executive branch agencies, which a lot of power has been given to these agencies from Congress because Congress has abdicated their responsibilities. And these individuals and these agencies like Department of Justice, State Department, IRS, EPA, take it upon themselves to promote their agenda, circumventing the will of the people. So it's a name that's been a nameless, faceless, vast administrative bureaucracy within the executive branch agencies uh, to resist against a duly elected administration. That is the definition of the deep state. 
But the thing that we haven't seen until yesterday from Project Veritas is what they look like and sound like because, Ezra, the journalists, and I put the the names in quotes, I call them political marketing industry executives, (laughs) have chosen to conspire with these people. That that is to say, keep them anonymous. And as anonymous sources. So instead of keeping them as anonymous sources, we've now filmed the anonymous Mm. sources. You know what? And we've got some of your videos. We're going to go to them in a matter of seconds. But I just want to make a point and, and, and you tell me if I'm right. This deep state is basically a permanent political class. They don't change in the elections there. We would call them civil servants up here in Canada. They're supposed to be nonpartisan. They're ideological. When it's a Barack Obama in power, they're not resisting him. They're magnifying him, emphasizing him, helping him get away with things. They, they only resist the political will of the election if it's a Donald Trump down there or in Canada, a Stephen Harper or a, or a Doug Ford. So, so they're not just resisting any democracy. They're just resisting politics they don't like. Is that, is an, is that an accurate statement? That's correct. They they are holdovers, if you will, some of them from the Obama administration. Their jobs are to carry out the will of the executive branch, which is elected by a, dual, a duly elected branch of government elected by the people. And that's why this creates kind of a constitutional crisis, because it's one thing to resign or to not take the job. But if the people in America vote into office an administration and that administration has basically these executive branch agencies and the people in those executive branch that's elected by the people say, I'm not going to do what I'm being told to do. That's insubordination. If, yeah. if you're working for a private company, you would be fired. Yeah. Um, in the government, we have the separation of powers mm. and we have equal justice before the law. Mm. And if you start taking the law into your own hands, then it becomes a, be- a very big constitutional crisis. Right. All so right. that's what's in America right now. Well, James, without further ado, let's show we've got a few clips. Let's see how many we can get through. I know you've, you're so busy today with interviews. Let's start out with a bit of a montage of some sure. of the uh, revelations from your undercover journalists. Let's take a look. This is the level of resistance. Inside? Is like, is the resistance just your friend? Or is it like a bunch of people? It's like a bunch of people. Oh, okay. Um, and then there's a lot of talk about like, how we can resist from inside. Yeah. And there's like, a lot of, kind of like, I would pushback. Say that. Like, let's uh, go. Like, yeah. Um, now, those all look like younger people. I'd say they were all under 40. Um, in my mind, when I think of the deep state, I think of the old men who uh, are upset that their master plans are being dashed. I think of like the former CIA director and the former NSA director. But this shows that even younger workers, it's just riddled through the whole establishment. That's how it looks to me. Is Is that accurate, James? Yeah, these are the, the foot soldiers of the deep state. These are the people who are, some of them are mid-level, some of them are low-level, some of them are uh, people who uh, talk about their colleagues, like this Alison Raybar inside the Department of Justice talks about how she has colleagues who resist from the inside and uh, wait until the last second to file forms. And 
uh, send emails during the day on DSA, which is a violation of the Hatch Act, using their work computers to target people. Now, let me just stop you there because uh, we we're not familiar with the DSA up here. That's, that's a socialist uh, organization, am I right? Yeah, one of the things the State Department guy says is that we, we um, send emails during the work hours mm -hmm. and, and for Democratic Socialists of America. Democratic Socialists of America is a radical political party. It's sort of a, a white version of Black Lives Matter, am I right? Uh, that's one way to characterize it. And th this is a very, very, very radical organization. And we got to these federal workers through this entity. There's a cabal of people that are working to, quote unquote, resist. And the, the New York Times anonymous op-ed, which you're all familiar with, yeah. was, was claimed to be so interesting by our mainstream media, but it was anonymously written and it wasn't specific. And we don't know who wrote that. It was right. probably one of the people that you see in one of these videos, it was probably a mid-level administrative bureaucrat in one of the executive agencies mm -hmm. talking about their resistance to Trump. Yeah. What makes these videos interesting is they talk about how they use work hours right. to conduct their resistance activities. Well, let, let's look at a video. You mentioned Alison Raybar. She doesn't just use work hours. What I found terrifying about this is she uses special access to the tools that law enforcement have, or the Department of Justice prosecutors would have. Let's play that clip of Allison Raybar, a clerk at the Department of Justice who's part of the resistance movement. Let's take a look. So we, um, we looked it up and we found a different address for him, and it turns out they'd sold that house and moved in like the last six months. So when we sent someone a secondary address, their license plate was outside, and it had a bumper sticker for a school we knew their kid went to. Okay. I know that's very creepy, but it was very useful information. Um, so and so we ran the license plate. And it was a car registered to Jeremy Wiley. So yeah, his car is parked outside a house that he does own as of very recently. And someone saw him through the window, which is also very helpful. Also, we're able to run license plates through like. You can. We cannot do it officially. The clip was telling me that she uses LexisNexis, but that's like a paid program. Mm -hmm. so. I mean, she she has used it. She uses it probably more. Say, God, Alexis. No. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking, like, that's, I mean, pretty expensive if, mm -hmm. if we get it for DSA, but I think it's great that she's able to have that resource at work and use it for DSA. Yeah, and you know, that's the kind of thing that you would get fired for if people knew about. Yeah. Um, she, the things that people know about, about her and her activities outside of this organization, like, People do not have the, the silver bullet or like the smoke gun or whatever. Um, if they were able to get proof of that, you know. So, I mean, we're all walking that line in a lot of ways. So, James, if I understand that correctly, a member of this Democratic Social Alliance, Socialist Alliance, that's what DSA I think stands for, is also works for the Department of Justice, and she used her access to find out the home address and the license plate and other personal information about a Republican. And then I think I saw a picture of her outside that Republican's house leading a radical demonstration. So she's in the government using their tools, whether it's LexisNexis, license plate search, or home searches, and then she has a street protest. Did I get that right? Is that what she's doing? That's correct. That, that is that is correct. And it would take the Department of Justice. Uh, I just emailed their spokesperson about 15 minutes to just scan her websites and tools to verify what I have reported here. But we have people on tape saying she does this 
She says she does it unofficially to run a license plate of a private citizen using DOJ resources is a crime. You cannot do that. That's terrifying. And, 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 and then uh, she personally has a protest outside his house. That's that's beyond creepy. That's I, that's that, that I, mean, I don't want to throw the word Stalinist around. Creepy is the word that she uses. I would describe <laughs> potentially as felonious. It's yeah. criminal. And, and I would tell you that. You know, I, she says she can't get fired, Ezra. That's what she says in the video. She says, I'm what's she says. What's kind of lucky is at the DOJ, we can't like get fired. And Stuart Carafa says it's impossible to fire a federal employee. So in Canada, you call it civil service. Well, in America, we need civil service reform. And I don't know what these guys have to do to get fired. It's the numbers are off the charts. Ninety nine five percent of people. Uh, you know, keep their jobs, you have a more likelihood of dying in while a federal government worker than being fired. So there's all these different storylines, but this is the deep state. This yeah. is this is putting a face to a name of what these people do. And again, John Brennan is not outside targeting people. Right. He, he, he's up at the top. Right. But these are the people who actually carry out and execute and they're the tip of the spear and they're the foot soldiers right. and they're all round and they're resisting and they 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 don't look all look the same they don't look like communists Stuart Carafa right. you know looks like a like a buttoned up bureaucratic guy and and this is what they look like and sound like and that's why it's important for people to see it i know you're pressed for time you have so many people wanting to interview you let's just play you mentioned Stuart Carafa let's make that the last clip we show today just stay with me for a couple more minutes james let's play that carafa clip and then i'd love uh, a word from me about that let's take a look Nice. Do you guys have cameras like on your cubicles? No, God no. But like, I mean, you can get. You could put two and two together, probably. Right. It's like web traffic. Carafe is deeply involved in the Democratic Socialist political campaign efforts, both in D.C. and Virginia, as evidenced by his private messages on the DSA internal communications app. With like web traffic and, I mean, I could make the case before like a court of law that I'm going to the Virginia sort of campaign finance website that I'm just interested in what people are doing politically. Right. But if they also go and look at like GSA minutes and like officer positions, they'd be like, that's weird. You were the co-chair in the electoral caucus and you spent three hours on the Virginia like campaign finance website. So then how do you do it though? How would you do it? Well, I mean that that glee that it's impossible Hubris. to fire me. That's so gross. Last word, James, I've kept you so long. You're in such high demand today. Give me a final word about Stuart Carafa, and and tell me, do you have more videos to come after this? Well, the department, State Department, responded to the video and said that they're taking seriously potential violations of the Hatch Act and financial issues. Um, we just released a video an hour ago, uh, so we have many more videos to come. Um, we have, we're dealing with a corrupt and complacent media that seeks to 
not shed sunlight on this. So I would ask each and every one of your viewers to embed these videos in your social media feeds and just get the word out as best as you can. Well, James, we will do that. We admire you. We always look forward to when you have news because it's important news. And I say again, that if you were a man of the left, rather than an open-minded, skeptical journalist, and I think I'd call you on the right, but the journalism you're doing has got nothing to do with right and left. It's right and wrong. If you were a man of the left, you would have a Pulitzer Prize by now. You would be a professor at Columbia School of Journalism. Uh, you, you, would be a, you would be the toast of the speaking circuit, but because you expose leftism through your accurate reporting, you have been marginalized by the profession around which you run circles every day. So we salute you, and, and I know you know this, that despite the fact the media party despises you, you are regarded as a more essential source of news than ABC, NBC, CNN, or any of those guys. So on behalf of our viewers, especially up here in Canada, keep at it, my friend. That's very kind, and, and I, really appreciate the, I really appreciate that. And what you guys can do to help Veritas is to simply spread our videos uh, around as widely as you can. Well, we'll sure do that. We'll do that. We'll put this video on YouTube and we'll embed your videos on our website. And of course, folks, if you want to go help out James, you can go to projectveritas.com because of course, like us, he doesn't take a penny of government money, which is why he's so independent. James, good luck out there. Keep up the fight. Thank you. All right. There you have it. James O'Keefe. He's the founder of Project Veritas and its lead journalist. Very interesting. Very interesting. I bet we have a deep state here in Canada too, don't you? And I bet they're working fiendishly against Doug Ford. And if Justin Trudeau is ever voted out, they'll be sandbagging whoever replaces him too, don't you think? Stay with us. More ahead on The Rebel. Hey, welcome back on my monologue yesterday about Paul Wells' interview with Justin Trudeau. Deborah writes, Trudeau never answers the questions that he's given. He babbles on and on about anything and everything. Talk about deflection. Well, listen, every politician who is good does that, deflects, uh, pivot, whatever you want to call it, avoid, obfuscate. That's where a journalist would ask a supplemental question or pull the, uh, the subject back to the, the, pull the politician back to the subject at hand. Paul Wells did not do that because to do that would be to offend his majesty and Paul Wells wouldn't be invited back on the state broadcaster anymore and Paul Wells wouldn't get his exclusive tete-a-tetes with the prime minister anymore. If you act like a real critical accountability journalist in Canada, you do that once and then you never do that again. Michael writes, it was the slave on the back of the Roman general during a triumph who whispered that phrase. It wasn't to the emperor, although your point about the liberal platters in the media was well taken. Ah, Michael is referring to um, people whispering in your ear, you're just mortal. You're just, you're not immortal. That's, I mentioned yesterday that I, I had heard that uh, slaves would whisper that in the ears of emperors and you're saying it's generals, I accept your correction. But the point is, who is there that Justin Trudeau actually listens to that says, buddy, you're a bit off course here and you're merely mortal. I know you're a Trudeau, but you're mortal and you don't have this one right. Is there any grown up in the government at all? I, I can't name one. It's certainly not Gerald Butts. On the addition of Key and Bexty to the Rebel Team, Liza writes, welcome Key and Bexty. I look forward to your input. 
That binder of the convention was a brilliant scoop. Well done and good start. Yeah, I thought that was great. Hopefully he'll have more news like that and we're also gonna try and keep his activist streak going too. On our petition, stopberman.ca, about Sapporo Berman being invited to the Alberta Teachers Association, John writes, don't waste the resources of rebel supporters sending the ethical oil book to Alberta schools. Don't get me wrong, I think every student in Alberta school should read your great book, along with Alex Epstein's The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels. However, within minutes of your book arriving at the school library, I fear that it would be vandalized, sidelined, or disposed of by some leftist librarian and or teacher. Leftists are a nearly overwhelming infestation in our public schools. Very few, if any, students would have the privilege of reading your book unless you have some reliable method of identifying teachers sympathetic to your cause our cause, who could use it directly in the classroom, I would not bother sending a copy of your book to every school in Alberta. John, uh, you're very pessimistic and you've made me sad. Um, and I know there is some truth to what you're saying. I even see it in bookstores. Uh, earlier in the show, we looked at the deep state, these embedded leftists within the US government. I know from personal experience that there are embedded leftists at Chapters Indigo bookstores that hide or obscure books from conservative authors. I know that as a fact, or they do funny tricks, like um, put a conservative nonfiction book in the fiction area, or put it next, if you like this one, you'll like this one, and put it next to Mein Kampf. I've seen evidence of all of these things with my own eyes. So yes, it happens. But don't you think we ought to try? Don't you think we ought to try? Folks, that's the show for today. On behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, good night, and keep fighting for freedom.